working through the Beatitudes. This is our series and today's week three. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's our focus for today. So before we start, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the great and heavenly God, that this is your word that you've given to us to reveal yourself to us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will open our eyes and our minds to what you're saying to us today and that he will give us the courage to live out our lives in our community in such a way that brings you glory. But teach us now in your son's name. Amen. Yesterday I had a fun day. Um, I got to spend about seven hours looking at a computer screen um, with the Baptist Association's General Assembly. And so, as you can imagine, that was completely riveting. Especially not being able to contribute because I'm live streaming, not down there in the room. So... I can say what I want and nobody hears it. (laughs) Not much different really to other places. (laughs) But one interesting thing that came of yesterday, which I thought I'd share. um, Late last year, McCrindle Research, I don't know if you know McCrindle Research or not, but they're quite a reputable um, Christian-based research company. Um, and they're also fairly well used in the media today by Channel 7 and other media things. And McCrindle Research um, did some research end of last year, late last year, on different thoughts in Australia regarding spirituality and people's beliefs and their thoughts about the church. And the results were interesting. Ten years ago, they did something similar and 10 years ago, about 20% of Australians declared that Australia would be better off if the Christian church was made illegal. Shut down, goodbye, see you later, you are no longer a part of society. Two in 10, 20%, 10 years ago. End of last year, same question, 33%. of Australians think that Australia would be better off if the church were shut down, completely locked out of public space and given no say whatsoever. Do you find that interesting? Do you find it scary? You don't find it shocking? No, the church has brought a lot of that on itself. So why would I start off a sermon on meek talking about the fact that one in three people you walk past on the street, on average, one in three, wants this place shut down? As you walk along the street, next time you're down the, down the street, you're at the shops, count the people. One, two, you don't like the church. One, two, you don't like the church. One, that's a lot of you don't like the churches as you walk through shops. But they asked another question during the same survey. So it was the same people. Since the pandemic, 
So this, this survey was done end of last year. Close to 60% of Australians are wrestling with their spirituality. And I'll guarantee you that some of the same people who want this place shut down, want the church made illegal, are wrestling with their spirituality. It's not a, okay, well, there's a third and there's 60%, so that makes 93% and there's 7% other people who don't know what they want. (laughs) No, no, I'll guarantee you there's overlap. So the very people who want the church shut down are actually wrestling with their own spirituality. The problem is that they're looking to themselves. They're looking to themselves to actually try and work out the meaning of life. What is the point of all this? What is the point of my life? Why? What happens after this life? They're wrestling with all these things, but they're turning to themselves, not to the church. Interesting, isn't it? The church is... Brought a lot of that on itself. So why do I start a sermon on the meek with that sort of information? It's because this sermon, this series, this series on the Beatitudes, if we did a series on fruit of the Spirit, which we did a little while ago, if more people start living with those characteristics and their life displaying this fruit, that 33% will become 15%. You'll never eradicate it because there'll always be some people who just hate the church. But it will significantly, once we start actually living with these characteristics and the fruit of the Spirit. And when I say we, I don't mean us as a church first. I mean you as an individual. Don't pass the buck and say, well, I'm not too bad, but what about Fred? They don't live as a Christian, but they call themselves... I don't care about Fred, I care about you. When enough individuals start making the choices to grow in these characteristics, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, then as a church we will start to make an impact in the community. Yes, we're a family. Yes, we support each other. Yes, we help each other grow. But until you take responsibility for your witness, for your spiritual journey, it doesn't matter what Fred Bloggs is doing. Yes, we're a family. We encourage each other along the way. But it's your journey with Christ. And as more individuals start to journey with Christ more closely and reflect Christ more closely, then as a family we will shine a brighter light and people will be attracted. How do we do that? By growing in these characteristics. So what is meek? What is meek? Meek is the third beatitude in this series. Let's put this into context. We started week one with what? Poor in spirit. What was poor in spirit? The recognition we're spiritually bankrupt before God. And as a result of that recognition, we are extremely humble towards us, towards God, towards others, towards everyone. We are humble because 
we are spiritually bankrupt before God. We give God nothing but headaches. <laughs> that was week one. And so last week we talked about mourning, and as I said, the Beatitudes all flow. You're not going to understand meek today until you put it in the context of one, weeks one and two. So week two was mourning. What are we mourning? The fact that we're spiritually bankrupt before God. That's what we're mourning. That's the beatitude. As we realise just how spiritually bankrupt we are, just how little we actually give to God in a good way, the more we mourn. And we're genuinely sorry for that. And that then flows into meek, which we look at today. So what is meek? It's interesting as I research this because the world often interprets meek as weakness. Would you agree with that? Yeah? Ironically, the actual word used by Matthew as he was writing in Greek, not King James, not NIV, they hadn't worked out English at that point. He was writing in Greek. And the word he uses, there is no direct translation for into English. There is no simple word I can give you that you go, oh, okay, that's the word that Jesus would have used if he was preaching today along the Tare River. So what is meek? Let me give you a, a, a word picture, a, a bit of an understanding. You know when you capture a, a horse, because obviously everyone's gone out to this, the snowy mountains and captured a brumby. Wild brumby. And when you first capture that wild brumby, what are they? Wild, that's right. They have their own will, they have their own temperament, they have their own thinking. You can't just hop on the back of one and... <laughs> right, unless you're watching Man from Snow River too. But the horse is wild, it needs to be broken in, it needs to be tamed, it needs to be controlled, it needs to be taught to listen to its master. Does it change the horse's strength? No. Does it change the, the possibility that this horse can just take off at a second's notice and go back to being wild? It still can't do that, can't it? still got the same strength. It's still got those instincts inside of it. But as it learns to listen to its master, we call that breaking in. And over time the horse learns to listen and do what its master says. And it works out that the more I listen to the master, the better my life is. I get rewards, I get apples, I get treats. I don't listen. I don't enjoy it so much. Horses have this worked out. We as people take a bit longer. <laughs> We're not quite as smart as horses. But that's what meek is. It's not a complete 
weakness. It's not a lack of instincts. It's not a brain-dead zombie just following blindly. It's a God-controlled acknowledgement and followed following of God. It is submitting to your master because you are mourning that you are spiritually bankrupt. You submit to your master, God, and you do as God says. It's not an absence of anger. It's a controlled anger. It's a controlled will. It's a controlled response according to what God wants. It's God's thinking, not our thinking. See, we were, many people think that anger is a bad thing. No. Anger itself is not a bad thing. But there's natural self-anger, which usually destroys either people or property. And there's a righteous anger. And we're called to have a righteous anger. That's what meek is. It's a godly control. It's offering God control of what we do, who we are, and it's God who controls us and we submit to our master. That is meekness. That takes strength. It's easy to start looking into ourselves and wanting to please ourselves and going, I'm the answer to my problems. I'm going to find meaning for my life my way. That's easy to do. It's actually to submit to God. That takes strength. That takes courage. And it takes a heck of a lot of practice. So what do, how do we see this? As I've said, this series is going to be structured the exact same way each week. What is it? What is the beatitude? What is, in this case, meekness? We've just answered that. How do we see it in Jesus' life? How do we see meekness in Jesus? Because if these are perfect characteristics of God's kingdom that we're meant to be following and growing in, then surely Jesus would have displayed all these. So how do we see, in this case, meekness in the life of Jesus? And then what do we do about it, which we'll get to. Well, if we read Matthew Chapter 5, and start at verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away, because from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now that's not an example of Jesus, and we'll get to an example of Jesus in the John reading. But there's an example of meekness. It's understanding that when someone slaps me, in that culture, that was a grave offence. That was highly offensive to slap someone. And what Jesus is saying is when someone highly offends you, you don't punch them back. You don't give them a knuckle sandwich. You turn to them the other cheek. 
Go on. Offend me again. Why is Jesus saying that? Because there, are diff- there is a difference between someone offending you and someone offending God. And that's where the line starts to get drawn in how do I respond. When someone offends you, when someone insults you, cop it. Show love. Love the person in spite of it. When someone starts to offend God and insult God, that's where the line's drawn. If we turn to the John reading... It's an interesting little passage. The Jews answered him. We've looked at this basic situation before in the I Am series. And we've gone through all the lead up and I'm not going to spend too much time doing that this time. But Jesus and the Jews are having this big conversation, this big debate. Naturally, the religious leaders are saying things about Jesus which he does aren't necessarily true and he's really annoying them. And so it reaches a climax And the religious leaders answer him and they're surrounded by crowds. They say, aren't aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Stop right there for a sec. To call a Jew a Samaritan was the gravest insult you could give someone. It is even worse than calling someone from New South Wales a Queenslander. (laughs) But in all seriousness, this was one of the most serious insults you could label at someone. You can't say much worse than that. And they call him demon-possessed. What's Jesus' response to that? Next verse, I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honour my father. Oh, Zach, what happened to the Samaritan part? Jesus only ever responds to one verbal insult in this passage. And that is the one labelling him demon-possessed. He does not respond to the Samaritan part. Why? Because that's a personal insult. I'll cock that on the chin and I'll keep moving. But you just call me demon-possessed? You just said the things that I do and say and teach and all the, you say that's powered by a demon? No, no, that's where the line stops. Meekness is not an absence of anger. It's the godly use of anger. And sometimes that anger may be getting angry, but perhaps sometimes getting a, having a righteous anger actually means loving someone more. Driving down deeper to love them more, to show them more forgiveness, to show them more grace, to show them more mercy. It doesn't always have to result in yelling, screaming and throwing money tables everywhere. A righteous anger is a burning fire within you for God's honour. And we're going to get more to that next week when, if you read the next Beatitude After Meek. If you read, if you want another example of this, flick over to Second Peter. 
to sorry, First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. Start at verse twenty. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, that's just a basic summary of the different Gospels. All four Gospels record the trial. All four Gospels record, obviously, Jesus being beaten and punished and then dying on a cross. And Peter here is just summarising it nice and neat. And that's why I've chosen that one. But we see it in Jesus again and again. He did not retaliate for his own self. He always retaliated to defend God's honour. And that's what meekness is about. It's a controlled perception and of the world. It's a godly controlled perception rather than a self-controlled perception. And as we live with that more and more, I guarantee you that 33% of people who want the church shut down, made illegal, will drop. It will happen. So what do we do with this? What do we do with all this? Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 12. If you wanted to go to Romans chapter 12, we can, we've had Jesus say it, we've had Peter say it, we can, we can read Paul say it. They're all saying the same thing at the end of the day. Romans 12, 19 to 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will be heap burning coals on his heads, not literally, but you put them to shame. Why? Because you're showing them love as they're showing you anger. Ever ever had that happen to you? You're really mad at someone and you're determined that you are right in this situation. And you're going to make sure that they know you're right in this situation. And it could be just a a one-day argument. It could be a couple-of-week thing. But you're determined you're going to show them who's right, and that right is you. And they come along and show you love. Ever had that happen? It's the most humiliating, frustrating thing ever. How can you stay angry at someone when they're showing you love? True love. It's really, really hard. To live with meekness is to forget about personal insult, forget about personal standing. It's about God's honour and being controlled by his will to live out in the world. 
and we need that meekness. So what does it mean to inherit the earth? Because that's the second part of what Jesus says in Matthew. Each of the Beatitudes come with a promise. It's not just blessed are the meek. It's blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Well, yes, it's talking about a future, the future time when new heavens, new earth. Absolutely. Okay? So what does that mean for today? May. We in May? Is it still May? <laughs> Years going so quick. May 2022. Manning Valley. Australia, the thriving metropolis of the world that it is. What does this sermon mean? To inherit the earth. Because that's the promise of God. It's not just about a future time, it's about a now time as well. See, you ever noticed people who chase after the latest toys? Who are always looking out for themselves Always need to get the next phone, the next TV, the next car, the next house, the next holiday to some exotic location, the next. Whatever, whatever tickles their fancy, they're always chasing it. I've got a Samsung S20 Plus in my bag. That's my mobile phone, Samsung S20 Plus. I've got a few friends who love Apple and they keep telling me that I should come and switch over to the, the Apple products and I go well why would I go backwards <laughs> we have all sorts of fun with that but that phone does everything that my computer can do I'll take your word for that I'm never going to find out but that phone already does everything my big desktop computer can do now I like my big desktop computer because I got a, I stole our TV screen and it makes me, I can have all sorts of fun on it. But I don't need it because I can do it on my phone. My contract for that phone finishes up in about three months, two or three months, somewhere around there. And Telstra's going to come back to me at that point and they're going to go, you can get the latest and the greatest. You can come and get a new phone. I'm already on unlimited calls, unlimited internet on that phone. It already beats my desktop computer hands down. I just don't have the patience to. Yet, Telstra's going to come and try and tell me that I need the latest phone. In three months' time, whatever that is, I don't even know. Nah. I don't like Optus. People who are driven by the latest worldly products, whatever that is, whether it's TVs, phones, cars, holidays, computers, houses, communication networks, whatever you're driven by, that owns you. Not you possess it. It possesses you. It controls you. If you have to have something, 
in order to have your identity worth it, whether it's a label, whether it's a gadget, whether it's a des- holiday destination. If you need a label, if you need to say, this is, then you are possessed by it. You're not in control of it, it's in control of you. And we are called and promised that as we grow in meekness, we will distance ourselves further from the world's products and we will grow more desiring to God and being like God. That is what it means to inherit the earth. You have the mindset that I don't care what label people give me. I don't care what phone I have. I don't care what house I live in. I don't care about the next exotic holiday destination. What I care about is what God thinks. And I'm going to submit myself to that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that You do want us to know you. You made it possible for us to know you. And I pray that we will draw closer to you, that we will submit ourselves to your view on things, to your desires and to your outlook so this world can be as you intended it to be. And I pray that that I know that's not always going to be easy or fun, but you never promised us ease or fun. You promised us Christ's likeness. You promised us that we could spend eternity with worshipping you, which is what we'll design for. You promised us true peace and true joy. And that's worth so much more than fun. And so I pray to you for this in your son's holy name. Amen.